Okay, hi, this is Impersonal Opinions. My name is George Ortega. I'm here with Chandler Klebs and David Joseph. And today we're going to explore happiness from a meditation perspective. Um, basically, let me just introduce this. I've, I've, I've meditated for about 40 years or so, and I've, I've done work on happiness uh, mainly since um, 2000 or so. I did some research on it in the 80s. I've done a, a TV show on it, about almost 140 episodes. I, I do about, I lead about 10 discussions on it every month in media, another group and all. So, like, so you know, I've, I understand a lot about happiness, but then I began to realize it's one thing to understand the facts of happiness, what creates it, what doesn't, and to understand actually what the experience of happiness is. So let me let me set this up by explaining like meditation is basically focusing on an object, you know, an object of meditation. And it's usually breath or or a mantra word you repeat over and over. But it can really be any object. It can even be a repetitive motion. So um, so my experiment was that I um. I decided to try to use as my object of meditation the feeling of happiness. And so, Chandler, you were saying before that you weren't really familiar with that feeling so much. So I'm going to explain what I was trying to explain to George before we started recording. Basically, I know what sadness is. I know what anger is. I, I know what depression. I know what frustration is. Like, I know these feelings like, you know... I'm, I feel like really sad when I feel like nothing that I say or do is, is going to change people to stop them from the violence they do. So that's total sadness. And I'm, I'm usually been stuck in depression. So for me, happiness has sort of been more like where I'm just feeling kind of neutral, where I'm, but I think it's more, most people wouldn't think of that as happiness. They would probably just think of it as kind of being apathetic or just kind of not feeling that involved in much. But like, there's a different feeling, which could be, perhaps be happiness or joy, which I sometimes experience, like when I'm dancing or listening to music or playing a game or something, because sometimes like, um, I'll be doing something and it just makes me so happy. And perhaps that's the, the, the pleasure principle. What about when you were looking forward to doing something? Would, would that be classed as happiness perhaps? Or? Well, maybe it would be. Um, because, for example, when I know that it's almost time for us to record more episodes of Free Will Science Religion or Impersonal Opinion on Skype, then I get like really excited, like, yay, I get to talk to my co-hosts and we're going to talk about all this awesome stuff. Right. Well, I think that's kind of like what I discovered in the sense that like before when I was working on my happiness, even though I was trying to make it autonomous, not dependent on anything else, it really was dependent on like doing the TV show on happiness and trying to help people become happier with like, you know, or, or music or other goals. But then so all right. So. And, and I, I realized that I wasn't, I mean, I was, I, I was familiar with feeling the feeling of happiness, but not, not unattached from what causes it. So, and that's what this is about. Basically, like, we can learn to just separate what creates the happiness from the actual experience and feeling of happiness, and then 
we maintain our focus on the feeling. We no longer think of like either the music or our goals or whatever. And I've found it's a powerful way to just get better and better at accessing the feeling. So like, so in a certain sense, you can access it at will. Um, so basically what I do is like, um, initially when I started about eight months ago or so, I would have to either think of something in the past that, that, you know, a happy experience and then remember it or let's say imagine something in the future that I predicted would make me happy, um, feel happier and then just imagine that. And that worked. That's how I started. Like, um, but then like after, I guess like maybe several months of doing that, it became easier and easier to just go right into the feeling of happiness, just focusing on the feeling without having to evoke it with a memory or an imagined event. And, and so, so, you know, before I was saying like, I thought I understood happiness before that, because I understand, I know a lot of knowledge about happiness, a lot of facts about what creates it and what doesn't and all. But this showed me that I really wasn't so very familiar with the feeling. And that's what's been happening now. So like, I mean, it's amazing. Like, I, you know, basically another component of this is smiling. Basically, they, they've shown through research that to simply smile activates the zygomatic muscles, the smile muscles, which physiologically, you know, create this feeling of pleasure and happiness. Now, the reason this is important because, like, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, we just, like, spend our time doing a multitude of different activities. I mean, like, Sometimes we have to work, but on our, our free time, we're just like wondering what to do to, to, you know, to find this happiness and to be happy. And usually these, all these methods are indirect in that like we're trying to do something in order to become happier or feel happy. Whereas like this kind of meditation is practice and being able to access the feeling of happiness, the experience directly and, and for no reason. In other words, it's something we can apply whatever else we're doing you know we can focus on partly on what what else we're doing and focus partly on this feeling of happiness all right so um i know i've explained a lot so how does it sound so far well hey, Connor, uh sorry you go ahead uh, yeah because i i was trying i was listening to this and i'm thinking I, what he mentioned about the smiling is interesting because you know at my job we're told to smile <laughs> it's funny that's that's part of what advertises the company you know that they advertise their their friendly smiling employees and so i smile on purpose because i'm supposed to and i'm thinking i'm trying to think whether that actually makes me feel happier or not when i do that because it might Chandler, when you smile is it an open mouth smile when you're showing your teeth or is it more of a closed mouth smile it's more of a closed mouth smile all right that's better yeah like wait um stewards would sometimes like complain that they they were instructed smile all the time with their you know baring their teeth and all that can be very difficult especially if you're a shark and you show something your teeth david what did you want to say before i was just going to say um i've heard you mentioned before the idea of like a uh, like a happiness pill and it sounds almost like that except without the pill well you know yes i mean like again I, i've just worked on it for eight months or so and i haven't done all that much work on it but it, it is um it, it it yeah it can be that automatic again ordinarily we're, we're accustomed to like you know let's say um achieving goals 
to become happier or engaging in activities, talking with people, um, listening to music, you know, eating food, whatever. We generally um, associate our happiness with activities and successes, whereas this is, yeah, this is much more automatic. It's just like accessing happiness just because it feels good and, and directly, just like a pill would. Absolutely. Right. I've heard um, Sam Harris mention something on a, um, on a talk he does, and he states it as how unhappy do you have to be with the present to always be thinking about the future? So it kind of makes a lot of sense if you focus on the happiness. You know, you, you want to be happy now rather than just, you know, putting all your eggs in a basket and hoping that the future works out. Exactly, exactly. We, um, and we, we um, you know, when we think of the, about the future, many of us, unfortunately, our thoughts go to worry. And this is another thing, this is related to free will because it, um, if we had a free will, we'd be blissed out every moment of every day. But like, for example, in terms of like thinking of the future, these thoughts just come to us and, and they're not really helpful to us. They're not really, a lot of them aren't on our side. I mean, basically, I think according to the research, you know, well, worry is, is the number one enemy of happiness. It's what, it's what limits our happiness the most. And, you know, over 90% of what we worry about never happens anyhow. So, you know, it's just, it seems very, you know, it doesn't seem very useful to do that worry. Right, a trick. A, a trick that I've used at work is sometimes I listen to stand-up comedians. So, oh, yeah. It, yeah, it, it's a weird thing. Whenever, whenever I've done that, I've often found that I actually sleep better after after listening to to comedy at work. It, it's quite strange, actually. Wow, that's excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, because it just redirects your mind to it. I mean, what, what comedians, what, they, they try to get you in touch with, with laughing, and laughing is like a very powerful, you know, positive emotion i mean laughing makes us very happy absolutely yeah um i think that would work for a lot of people if there's a comedian they like and i it's interesting what you were mentioning about being able to focus on the feeling of happiness itself and not always having to think about some other thing in order to make you happy because i haven't been able to achieve that yet like for me it's pretty much like you said about how I like you think about something in the past that made you happy or something in the future that you're looking forward to. But if there's a way to di more directly do it, that would be so awesome. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and Chandler, because this is somewhat foreign in terms of what, what we naturally do or have been conditioned to do. Uh, there's two ways that I can think of that will help us kind of like make it more understandable. Like, let's say, for example, there was a play. Let's say it was a play about a happy pill. Some inventor invents a happy pill and he gives it to a subject and, you know, to them to show them how it works. And let's say you're that subject. So throughout this whole play, you know, your your character is playing the role of a very, very happy person. Right. So you've got to communicate that to the audience. And so as you're doing that, you're smiling and you're evoking that feeling. So, you know, basically that, you know, you can do that. You can kind of like pretend that, that your role in a play is, to, let's say, they even sit in a chair and just like, you know, look really happy. Or, or you know, and again, like look and, and try to feel very happy. And the other way that I can think of that we tend to do this, even though it's not really the, the intention per se, is like a lot of times when we pose for photographs and we smile, 
you know, we're trying to evoke a sincere, genuine smile. We, we don't want it to seem artificial and all. So basically, we're trying to, I think, evoke a sincere, genuine feeling of happiness. Wow. You know, that's a good example, George, because, you know, I'm not really much of an actor, but that would be hard. Like if you have to make to convince an audience that you're happy, like like let's like let's just imagine that you are genuinely trying to convince somebody that you that you just took a happiness pill and you're really happy. I wonder if somebody can actually do that. Um, because I mean, it would probably take a very talented actor, but even more importantly, um, the, the thought of that person could actually be as happy as they were acting. Do you think it's really that possible, George? It is. Um, one of the things that Darwin discovered uh, 150 years ago is like, we sometimes think that, that we have feelings and then our facial expressions um, express the feelings we're having. But I think what he discovered is a lot of times the exact opposite happens. We have a facial expression and then we feel the feeling associated with it. So yeah, to get back to the play example, I mean like for example, like let's say your character had um, no nothing more to do but sit in a comfortable chair and he's like the subject. So like I guess the, the inventor is kind of like bringing people into the room and just showing them. And basically the person is just like um, – Eyes open, eyes closed, with a very you know big smile. Just you know that that's the extent of the acting. And yeah, I can't I can't imagine that a person who did that, especially within the context of a play, you know, wouldn't be able to kind of like also access that feeling pretty powerfully. I mean, sometimes there's a humorous element to it that it, you know it's kind of like funny that just basically you know smiling and 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 kind of like. Pretending to be happy. Another example is like a um, you go into an interview, a uh, job interview, and you know, as with many people, you know, we will tend to feel uh, intimidated, you know, a bit um, worried, whatever. But we're told, you know, you got to feel really, you know, calm and and, and confident and all. So we're, we'll take on that role. We'll we'll try to make ourselves appear as confident and calm as possible. And that works, you know, it's, it's that, that idea that um, the function and the feelings follow, or you fake it till you make it. We have a few expressions that, um, that explain how this works. Yeah, it's true, because that's a case of real, like an everyday person has had that experience when they have a job interview. Because anybody who's ever had a job interview, they know that they're trying to project a feeling of confidence that the other person's capable of seeing. So yeah, that's a very good example and a very practical and useful skill. Even like with sales, I've, I've read some books on you know um, training salespeople or how sales is done over the phone with cold calling and all. And they actually train salespeople to smile while they're talking on the phone because they've done research that shows that the person on the other line, not seeing the person, can tell whether the person is smiling or not, you know, to some extent. Huh. So, so, yeah. Now that's weird. You're saying over the phone somebody can tell? Yeah. If you're, if you're listening to somebody talking and that person is smiling while they're talking, you know, you can, you know, that will express itself. I mean, not, not completely clearly perhaps, you know, but, but generally like, yeah, a lot of times, 
you can kind of like tell if the person on the other line is smiling or not, you know, when, when he's saying whatever the person is saying. Sounds like one of those uh, phrases where they say, yeah, uh, motion creates emotion, you know. Oh, nice. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about it is that it's very important because um, everybody, whether they're a salesman or they're going for, for some job interview, if somebody can, can to, a, to a certain extent, um, control their emotions enough to be able to successfully do, do that act, whatever it is, in, or, in order to actually convincingly get the job or sell the product or whatever, I mean, that's amazing because if if somebody develops that, I imagine it's it's a skill kind of like, you know, playing the piano or something, something that you really have to work on and experiment with. But if you get it right, you just have so much more success in what you're trying to do, which makes you happier. I, 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 I was just going to say – it would be a case of they've been influenced to be that way, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be we we can't attribute the success to to them. David, explain that in more detail. Well, because um, you know the, the whole idea of free will, the fact that oh, it, it, you know, absolutely. If we try this, you know, like I I think it's it's a relatively simple skill, and that you know I think we can kind of like pretty much. You know, for example, if we if we throw a baseball, you know, through a, a tire or something, I think we can predict that the more we throw, the better we'll get, whatever. And so, like, this is something that it's not difficult, and you know, in terms of the the act, but it, it it would take time, and it's somewhat difficult to 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 get better and better at. But uh, and you're right. I mean, it's whether we do or not, it's not fundamentally up to us. But actually, that leads to this very important point. Because as we practice this and get better and better at it, what happens is like our ordinary happiness is not very much in our control. And this is not related to the free will thing. It's just that like we relate it to kind of like succeeding with life or meeting a person or having, you know, certain friends or just like doing certain things that may or may not be in our immediate control. You know, so like we're basically placing our happiness outside of us. Whereas like a lot of people who teach happiness say, well, you know, happiness is depending on, on our thoughts, for example. And if we think positive thoughts, then that's going to create um, the positive feelings. But this is actually an even more direct route because like the better we get at simply, at, at simply um, identifying and focusing on the feeling of happiness. And the other thing that I really mentioned before is like, so once I've latched onto the feeling of happiness, what I'll do is then try to amplify it, you know, maybe smile more strongly or just like focus more keenly on that feeling. Sometimes they've mapped it in an experiment in terms of like where we generally tend to feel happiness. And it's, even though of all the emotions that they mapped, happiness is the only one that people generally feel throughout their entire bodies. The main areas are kind of like the chest region by the heart and, and our head. You know, that's mainly where people feel the happiness because the other thing is like happiness is a sensory experience you know our thoughts create happiness but happiness is different from our thoughts our thoughts is actually it's somatic it, it's you know we feel it you know physiologically but that's the thing so like to the extent that we get better and better at you know evoking this feeling of happiness consciously and again for no reason because like if, if our happiness is based on other things that are outside of us, 
fine, that works for most people because that's how most people achieve their happiness. But that I think creates a certain amount of worry. In other words, like if we succeed in that, then we kind of worry about perhaps not, you know, losing this thing that's creating our happiness. Yeah. In fact, I, yeah, I want to respond to that point there. If your happiness is dependent, for example, on something um, such as how much money you make or or so, some some event happening that largely involves other people, well, then because you can't make those other people do that thing, that means that you can't achieve happiness without those other people cooperating. And I think what we're going for, George, is we're going for a type of happiness that we don't have to depend on the other human beings to achieve. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people experience this. You know, a lot of people want to, like, get married to be happier, but a lot of times they kind of, like, they place their hope on the partner, you know, like, she's going to make me happy, he's going to make me happy. And the problem with that is, first, it places a lot of burden on the other person, that, you know, like, because I think sometimes we communicate that to the other person. And the second thing is, like, they're working on their own happiness. It's just like, you know, let's say they're not around, or let's say we're involved in a kind of situation where there's some kind of conflict. So it's just, you know, the idea what, what, what happiness researchers and, and, and relationship therapists and all generally um, advise is like, you know, don't expect to get your happiness from other people primarily. I mean, other people are our main source of happiness, and that, that's a great thing. But to the extent that we become happy and then, you know, find our, our mate or our spouse and all then that works out much better because we're not placing that that responsibility for our, our happiness on the other person, and we're not, you know, seeking happiness outside of ourselves. Yeah, well, you know, that's very important, George, because this happens all the time where somebody's happiness is wrapped around, you know, their boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or, or their kids or their friends. Or pizza. Yeah, or pizza. Definitely a pizza. <laughs> Especially for, for Ronnie. <laughs> Remember that? Except that she can choose not to like pizza. Oh, that's right. I forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. But here, but yeah, I think what we're going for is because, um, like we got, like we know that we don't have libertarian free will. It's not like, cause we know that our happiness is still dependent on the prior causes for which we're, we had no choice in. But I think what we're – yeah, we're going for something that can be done by ourselves even – and not, not that it's free from every, everything else in the universe entirely, but it can certainly not be taken away um, by somebody else. For example, somebody can steal – they can steal your food. They can steal your money. They can steal your car, but to have a happiness that they can't steal, that you can still get – and that somebody can't grab that away from you. Because if you've got that, that can become the most valuable thing ever. Absolutely. And that's, that's what this is about. Because like, you know, Aristotle understood this happiness is the only end in life. It's only, the only thing we really want. Everything else we do is a means to happiness. And that's everything. You know, I mean, like happiness is a really our only desire. So you're right. I mean, and, and it's not just about people stealing it from us or, or circumstances kind of like stealing it from us. It's also that, um, think about it, like every other means we have of, of accessing happiness 
is um, is indirect. You know, like I'm going to exercise, and by exercising, I'm going to feel better. Sure, it works. I'm going to like work at getting uh, a better job, and that's going to make me happy. I'm going to work at you know finding a person. And actually, the other one of the other things they've discovered is like while some of those things are lasting, for example, if you find a partner that makes you really happy, it tends to be lasting. Other things are not. For example, let's say you get you start making a lot more money on your job or something, right? Six months to a year after that raise, your happiness level for most people kind of like returns to where it was before. So a lot of these indirect ways that we tend to seek happiness aren't all that effective for long-lasting happiness. So yeah, this is like this is about just like direct happiness, feeling happy, getting better and better at feeling happy in a way that's completely up to us. Yeah, you know what's like I have this image in my mind of like a pool table. And this this might sound kind of funny, but take for example the way that um okay, now the objective, the goal is to get the ball into one of the pockets on the side of the table. But like the way people play pool, they go about it all weirdly. They they, you know, they use the pool cue and hit the white ball into another ball, which is other balls and stuff like that. So they're doing a very indirect method of getting the these balls into the holes on the side of the table. But what we're looking for is more of a direct method where you actually pick up that ball with your hand and drop it into the the hole in the table. Like, would that be a kind of an interesting analogy? Chandler, that's an awesome analogy. Absolutely. It, it's so, so much more you can... Go ahead, David. I was just going to say, so we're cheating. David, it's interesting you say that because, like, when I first started doing this, I was challenged by that. I was, the thought came to my mind, wait a minute, this seems wrong. It does seem like I'm cheating. And, like, so I would, I would think about it and think about it. And finally, you know, after several months, I've overcome that, that, um, that idea and all. But it does kind of, like, feel like it's cheating. But it's really not. You know, it's just... Uh -huh. it's, I, I, I bet you'd get a lot of other people that would say you were cheating as well. And they'd probably be very unhappy that you were managing to get to that state by doing I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame them, of course, because they have free will, but I wouldn't agree with them. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> right, like, right. David, David, like with happiness, that's one of the problems. Like, um, there's books on this. Like, the ways that people think work with happiness, that we need to become happy and stay happy do not reflect the realities. You know, there's so many myths about happiness. For example, some people will tell you, and this is like very unfortunate for them and all because it just it's so it just doesn't work. It's like there's somebody who said like, well, the best way to lose your happiness is to seek it. I mean, that is like it's just unfortunately so wrong because like the research has found that the people who think about their happiness the most on a on a regular routine level are in fact the happiest. So, so yeah, so you're right, David. Some people would, would definitely say, yeah, it's cheating to, to access, like we have to earn it. But, you know, one way we could respond to them, well, we are earning it, but we're earning it in a much more intelligent, wiser way than most people. I, I guess I'd be worried uh, about being labeled of, uh, like a, um, just kind of like a, a bit of a nut job, you know, like, oh, he, he doesn't have the money, he doesn't have the house, he doesn't have the cars, he doesn't have the wife. So how can he be that happy? He must be crazy. You know, that, that drives people crazy, doesn't it, when you're happy and they can't figure out why? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think there's a certain amount of jealousy there, just at, at the 
support of someone else being happy who hasn't achieved what you think is the kind of predefined circumstances for being happy. There is a movie that describes that pretty well. Um, the guy, um, remember the movie Argo? Um, uh, I don't know if I... I'm trying to think of the, the, the lead actor. Um, I don't know, but anyway, this character, the, the movie's called 13 Conversations About One Thing, and, and it's really about happiness. And basically, yes, yeah, the salesperson in the... Um, in a sales office who's constantly cheerful and like, you know, and he, he loses his job because like they, they have to kind of like downsize and the other salesmen are saying, well, this is going to like take that smile off his face and all. And he comes in the next day as optimistic, as cheerful as possible, even though he doesn't have his job and all. So this is, this movie is about that. And you're right, David, some people will say, um, you know, you know, that, that, that it's, it's, it's maybe like, you know, crazy or whatever. But here's the thing. I mean, like, I mean, we know from our, our free will work that, that most people are extremely, <laughs> profoundly delusional, in, even in terms of, like, who we are as human beings. So, well, like, yeah. That, but, you know, yeah. George, they already think that we're nuts for the free will thing, so why don't we go full out nuts? Well, no, <laughs> and the, yeah, and the other thing is, yeah, like, yeah, we can either, like, live to kind of like impress others and to kind of like think, you know, you know, you know, to, to guide our behavior in order to kind of like, you know, have them think well of us, which I think a lot of people do that. It's this outward other directed behavior. But I mean, like, that's like putting their, you know, them, you know, that's giving them the power to determine how happy we are. I mean, yeah, if people, and the other thing, David, is like, so, you know, you actually, if you wanted to try this and also like to, to try it around other people, it's probably a wise uh, strategy to, to kind of like go slowly, to get them like, in other words, like you don't like go to a lot of people and maybe just express it all. Because that, that's the thing with happiness. With happiness, you can be feeling happy inside and you don't have to outwardly express it all that much. You can kind of like keep it within yourself a bit. So if you have to do that for a while, just like kind of like ease your friends and your acquaintances and associates into it, you know, slowly. Because if it happens, you know, you're right. If it happens overnight, they'll question all. And the other thing is you don't really necessarily have to tell them what your strategy is for happiness. You know, a lot of us, you know, for whatever reason, we become happier. And, and you know, people tend to accept it, that, you know, that something has happened. Yeah. You, you know, and what's interesting about it is... Like, for example, I used to be majorly depressed, like I used to be suicidal type depressed, and not everybody really knows that. And see, I understand the causes that led to me getting out of that, um, you know, but other people may not understand it as clearly. So it's kind of like um, you kind of have to tell your story as you get to know people, as you spend lots of time with people, you get to tell them your your story, you know, where you were and how you got out of it. And I'm sure that's really good, too, because I feel like what's happened is over the past few years, um, like overcoming, you know, the this belief in hell, the fear that I'm going to burn forever. I mean, get, that was a major source of depression. And then when I started realizing that I'm not to blame for how badly my life's been going because nobody has a free will, that also helped immensely. But now I'm so interested in what you're saying, George, because basically the idea that we can develop happiness as sort of a skill where we can figure out 
well, what's the right way to get to that happiness, but not having it depend on having the big house and the car and crazy stuff like David was saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. And another part of this, when I first started um, researching happiness, you know, the, the social science on happiness, I was kind of like envious of certain people that had things that I didn't, that had achieved things that I didn't. And one of the biggest gifts of this knowledge about happiness was that, like, I had thought that, you know, those achievements, those accomplishments, and those, those, um, you know, those things that the other people had were, were just meant that they were really, really happy. And, like, you know, so I learned that actually, you know, most people, like, here in the United States are only about, like, 70% happy. They're, like, above, like, I think $70,000 a year. It doesn't matter how much you make. At least here, like, in, in New York State, whatever, it's not going to make you any happier. Um, so many things that I envy people for don't actually create happiness. And that really, that, that was a great boost to my happiness. Because I felt that I was missing out on things. And to discover that I really wasn't, you know, now, as a matter of fact, it made me more compassionate toward people. Then I would look at people and, like, I wouldn't like think of like what they have or who they are, or what kind of job they were, would have. I would look at, at how their expressions, their like their emotional expressions and all. And I would ordinarily see that most people, right, aren't, aren't all that happy. So I, I would feel, you know, I would feel em empathic for, toward them. Um, yeah, happiness, knowledge about happiness can be very, very powerful. But again, like to get back to the um, the theme, you know, happiness is a skill, and like. The skill can comprise, for example, learning about it, you know, like um, just getting better and better at understanding what happiness is, what creates it. And then the skill can become like spending more time with people, um, basically um, setting and working toward and achieving goals that are that are realistic, that are neither too difficult or too easy. You know, there are many strategies, but among all those, you know, happiness being a skill, the most powerful, effective wiser skill, I believe, is just getting better and better at simply accessing this experience, this feeling, you know, staying with it like one does in meditation and amplifying it. Just just that simple skill or that set of three sub-skills is so powerful. And, and just like, um, it's it's kind of like going to the gym. It's, you can't go to the gym uh, for a few months and say, well, I'm fit. I don't have, ever have to go to the gym again. I think you want to like continue to to practice the happiness in that way but you know it, it's effective not just in making us so much happier but also it it invites the kind of meditative effects that meditation you know is used for in other words it calms us it, it makes us more peaceful it, it's it's helpful in so many ways yeah i mean th this it, i mean it's true because this I like that example you just gave about like oh I I've exercised at the gym for a few months so now I'm fit for the rest of life I I don't think it works that way that's like saying that once you um, get out of high school you know everything you need you need about, about life <laughs> I mean it's like it's because they get this idea that there's a stopping point like there's a certain point and you achieve this and then it's over instead of a lifelong ongoing process and happiness is something we can continue the rest of our lives work at that better. Exactly. Exactly. And also there's like, for example, you go to the gym and you start out like trying to lift 50 pounds, you know, a curl or something. And in, in, initially it's very difficult, but a year later it's like you're doing it effortlessly. So like, you know, it actually, 
it does, even though it's wise to just go in and, and just like, you know, keep the focus because we're basically reconditioning ourselves from years and years of focusing on pretty much everything but happiness. So it, it does take time to overcome that conditioning. But we can't expect that even like, you know, for example, let's say we miss a, a week of, of going to the gym or we miss a week of, of like working on our happiness. It does have substantial carryover effects. So I'm just wondering um, how, how, how would you handle someone who was to say, okay, so if, if you're happy quite often, then what's going to motiv motivate you to, to carry on and achieve certain goals, you know? Right. And David, that is why it's so important to learn what the social sciences have found out about happiness. Because like, basically, you're right. People might think that, but according to the research, happier people are more creative, are more successful. They earn more money. They're more likely to get married. They're less likely to get divorced. They're healthier. There are so many benefits that come as we become happy. You know, there's like a person who's depressed, you know, like you ask a person who's depressed, oh, you want to go see a movie? You want to go like, you know, somewhere? And a lot of times they'll say no because there's no motivation, whereas happiness is the exact opposite. You ask a happy person to do something, hey, sure, you know, let, you know how soon? So happiness is a powerful motivator to just, you know, to just do things. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, for example, even if you are able to tap into this happiness and access it um, directly, it doesn't mean that you're still not going to become more happy by doing those other things that cause you to be happy. So you still want to listen to music. You'll still want to record podcasts. You'll still want to go out and ride your bike. You know, you'll still want to do those things, but that's happiness in addition to the happiness that you were already able to get by thinking on happiness. Exactly, exactly. And, and like, you know, I've been working on happiness for years, and I think, like, like we can all, like, we would all still want to be happier. I think maybe we can remember, like, when we were infants or who knows, maybe even in the, in the womb or something. I think back then we felt bliss. I think sometimes, you know, we were capable of, of feeling very, very blissful and we were capable of, like, just, like, crying and stuff, feeling very terrified. But, but I think as adults we lose that, that range of, like, you know, reaching that high happiness. So I think we, we still, even though we're working to become happier, you know, we, we, we realize that, like, you know, that we'll, we'll, like you were saying, Chandler, we'll, we'll work to continue to become happier and happier. Some of us, some of us are actually, they, they achieve a level of happiness and they feel satisfied. They, they say, well, you know, this is happy enough. I don't feel the need to work on more happiness, which is fine. You know, if people are like, you know, that's their personality. But, you know, for others of us, you know, it's just exciting. It's really kind of like experiment to see how happy we can become. Yeah. Well, I hear a noise. Yeah, uh, that's oh, that drill. Yeah. Oh, that's sorry. That's my uh, computer fan <laughs> starting up. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had a very but, interesting thought, guys. Um, like, you know, we've been going for about 42 minutes now, but we're, you know, it's not a strict time limit or anything. But I, I kind of wanted to finish uh, this episode up with a thought maybe. And remember we were talking about how people seek relationships thinking that will make them happy. So they're looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're looking for a spouse. They're, they're looking, you know, for that kind of thing. And I thought about something. Do you suppose if people were able to access more happiness um, outside of these relationships – 
that it might prevent them from getting into bad relationships just because they're so desperately looking first to marry somebody who will make them happy for the rest of their lives. They think they'll live happily ever after. But if they realize that happiness is something that they can they can get without having to do that, do you suppose there will be more people who will be uh, – perhaps they'll be happier being single? But even if they do get married, um, their their happiness will not be necessarily tied to that marriage. you know. So it will mean that their relationships will be better that they do have. Do you think that would be true? Well, another another finding that they've discovered is like happier people, you know, based on people smiling especially, are judged by others to be more attractive, more intelligent, and uh, more ethical. So yeah, happiness is kind of like a magnet. It, it will it will it will pull you know more, let's say more enlightened, more evolved, more healthy people towards you. In other words, like a person like if you go around depressed. You might attract depressed people because, like, misery loves company and all, right? But I think happiness also loves company. So the happier you become, yeah, the more likely you are to to attract people. And, yeah, to address your other point, Chandler, yes, as, as you become happier, you still may want to, you know, like, right now I'm not in a relationship. Um, I've been dating a little whatever. But it's so much more pleasant to... Actually, in my case, sometimes I find I get into a relationship and I lose my happiness as a result. But for most people, it's funny. And, and, I, and what's funny is I still want to be in them. But like, no, no, Chandler, you're so right. Like, as we become happier, we are content with our lives as they are. Yes, we might want to be in a relationship. We want might want other things to change, but because we're happy, we know that we have what we want, and so these other things become like icing on the cake, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's great. People will attract um, people more, uh, is what you're saying, with their happiness. So in a way, they can work on their happiness while they're still single, but then, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they it, – it, it sort of will actually help them in a way rather than trying to get the relationship, then the happiness. If you get the happiness first, well, it might actually be a benefit there. And then other people will become happier by getting to know you. Maybe that's why there's a, uh, there's a fetish for clowns. What? <laughs> because well, they're, they're, they've got the, uh, the whole happy face paint on, don't they, all the time. And there, <laughs> there is a fetish for clowns as well. I think clowns are kind of scary. <laughs> clowns and also, David, comedians. I mean, you go to a comedy club. I mean, who comes out of there, like, not feeling good? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I totally know some good comedians. Like, there, there's Brian Regan. He's really kind of funny. <laughs> Um, All right, guys. So, should we wrap this up, or? Yeah, that, that's that's a good idea. Um, I guess we've talked a lot about happiness. So, did you want to close out this one? Actually, before we close it, let's, um, David, uh, just start off, just kind of like re reiterate like what I'm suggesting in terms of how to like achieve happiness more directly, just like to make sure that, that we understand it and our audience understands it really well. Um, just focus on um, something that. That, that's made you happy either in the past or or or, or recent recent past perhaps and um just 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 focus on the feeling and um yeah try to try not to to put your happiness 
in in um, you know all, all the future events that you you want to happen. Just just focus on the feeling that you've already had. But that that's kind of basically what I'm I'm getting from this. Exactly, David. Basically, to begin with, you want to kind of like you know evoke the feeling through memories of the past or imagining something in the future. But once you have the feeling, to separate what caused it. Hold on. Sorry. Oh, man, sorry, I had to sneeze. I, I had to sneeze. Oh, okay. I can actually hear the sirens too. Um, so, all right, so, so David, yeah, it's like, you know, we start out by, by, by evoking the, the feeling of happiness through a memory in the past or through imagining the future. But once we have the feeling, the work then becomes to separate the feeling from what caused it. And then it, it's about meditation. It's about just sitting down, you know, quietly and just like, that's our activity to become happier and happier. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Chandler, yeah. before we end, yet, um, just reiterate in your words what, what this is about, because again, it's so important that people understand. You know, that, that it's very simple, it's very basic, but it's very powerful. Yeah, I for me, it sounds like it's more about developing happiness as a skill. Um, such as, for example, playing the piano or riding a bike, something that you don't have to wait for somebody else to do it for you. And that's what I'm getting out of it. Like the, it's sort of like learning to play the piano, um, yourself without having to make somebody else play the piano. That's kind of how I look at it. The idea that a human without necessarily help from other humans can still achieve happiness. Excellent. One way to look at it is like instead of expecting things outside of us to make us happy, we are taking responsibility for our happiness. We are making ourselves happy. And that's a much more direct, powerful and, and wise approach. Okay, guys, this has been great. So this is um, this is Impersonal Opinions. I'm here with Chandler Klebs and David Joseph. This is George Ortega. And we'll be back, you know, to, to explore other aspects of life. Thanks for listening.